0: Welcome to Origin Gate's daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney. I'm doing a series having a look at generational repentance, generational inheritance, or bloodlines as it's known. And in the last episode, I started to build a little bit of a foundation from the Word of God to introduce you to the topic. I'm still building on that foundation. And as we hit Genesis four, you're going to see how it starts to unfold. So let's continue in Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I'm going to pause there a second. And I want to show you the Hebrew word for serpent. That word is nechash and it means to hiss, to whisper a magic spell or to use enchantment. So every time you see a serpent, you're going to know that when it speaks, that is its method of operation. Hissing, whispering a magic spell, using enchantment. So verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. How did she know that he said this? In fact, she embellished it just a little bit because we'll just go over and review Genesis 2 verse 16 to see what God actually said. He said, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He didn't say anything there about touching it, right? So what exactly was she getting at? How did she get that information? You will remember from Genesis 2 that when God said this, Adam consisted of man and woman in one body. He had not yet taken the woman out of man. So they were one. So actually, Eve was in Adam when God gave that command. She heard it very clearly. I've often wondered, why is it that the word says in Psalms 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. And it also says in Romans that, um, everyone sins, right? So I'm wondering to myself, how come that sinful nature got passed down from generation to generation? Why is it that we are bearing the consequences of Adam and the woman's sin? What is that all about? When you have a look at Hebraic understanding, you will understand that we also were in Adam when Yahweh gave that command. Because Adam is the father of mankind. That is where we originated from. We weren't in our body forms yet, but we were definitely in the picture because we were preordained before the foundation of the world. We were already in him. It was just our timing and when we came into this earth, that was to be established. So that sinful nature was passed down to all of us because, like Eve or like the woman, we were in Adam when God gave that command in Genesis 2 verse 16. Not one of us said, don't do it. God said no. And therefore, that doorway to sin and death was open to the rest of mankind, which is us. It even goes back to Adam when bloodline started, when generational inheritance was passed down from generation to generation. I'll show you some very interesting things as we go along. Let's continue reading. Verse 4. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is exactly what Lucifer fell from. Pride and rebellion. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to rule over the stars, have dominion over them, who were us. He wanted dominion over us. He had revelation as he arced over the throne and received that revelation from Yahweh about us, about mere mud man, clay man. He saw the potential that was within us. He saw the the inheritance that God wanted to leave to us. And he wanted to be higher to um, oversee that and to have authority over that, which is why he got kicked out. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. I spoke in last week's episode about how all of our senses, all of our gateways on our body have been defiled except the nose. I explained this as what you see is a gateway through your eye. What you hear is a gateway through your ears. What you taste is a gateway into your body through your mouth. When you touch someone, it's a gateway To release or impart or take on something. When you smell, it's a gateway into your body also. So when when the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? Did you hear that it created a seed of doubt? It went into her gateway and it defiled her ear gateway. Then in verse 6 when it says, The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Can you see that that, that she allowed into that gateway, corrupted that gateway? And desirable for attaining wisdom, she took some. How do you take it? With your hands. So that is that sense of touch, defiled. And she ate it. That's the mouth gateway, defiled. It says nothing about the nose, which is interesting because that is where Yahweh breathed his Ruach, his spirit, into us. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Now that's interesting because in our last episode, I was explaining how they never knew that they were naked because they were spirit beings, they were living beings, which is not a human being. So their function and their form look totally different than what it does today. Do you know that um, Adam's work was to tend the garden? How did he do that? He did not have a pick and a shovel and a spade and watering cans and all that kind of stuff. He thought about where he needed to be in the garden and he would instantly relocate there. He moved. He moved at the speed of thought. So he operated completely different. How can you do that in a physical body? You can do it with a spirit body. Do you ever have dreams about flying or breathing underwater? Where does that come from? If Adam is our father, and that is how he used to operate in his first estate, those memories are passed down through our DNA, and you have a recollection of being in that first estate, which is why you dream about it. It's, I mean, it's not possible naturally. So where did that idea come from? It came from you remembering something that happened in another generation, and it all originated with Adam. I spoke about them not being aware of their nakedness because their spirit overshadowed their body. They didn't see their body. However, when they fell, when they were disobedient, the position of their spirit and their body swapped positions. Suddenly, their spirit was on the inside of them and their bodies were the covering of that spirit. They looked down, they saw they were naked, and then they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the first time fig leaves are spoken about in the word. It's a first mention. Next time or one of the other times that you see fig leaves mentioned is when Jesus goes and he curses the fig tree. What was he doing there? He was dealing with this exact thing. He came to change the order. He came to give us access back into our first estate. So when he dealt and he cursed that fig tree and that leaf, he was dealing with this instance right here where we made coverings for ourselves. Can you see that this was the door that opened sin and death to the rest of mankind? We going back to go and close the doors that had been opened by others, which are reaping a harvest in our lives. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. How does a voice walk? That's such an interesting concept right there, which I'm not touching on right now. But just food for thought. Go and meditate on that. Go and check it out. They heard the Lord God among the trees of the garden, and the Lord called to the man, where are you? Do you think that God didn't know where they were? He knows everything. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows how many tears we've cried. He even puts them in the bottle. So how could this all-knowing God not know where Adam and the woman were? It was actually a opportunity for repentance. He knew exactly what had happened. But he had created an opportunity for repentance. When God does this, he expects us to take responsibility. Taking responsibility is a sign of our maturity, growing into maturity in him. If he can't trust us to take responsibility at the lowest levels, at the very lowest levels, like say, you know what, I messed up. How can we expect to be given responsibility over the great things that he's created? How can he trust us um, to manage and to oversee all of these things that he has created? Verse 10 says, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God says, who told you that you were naked? He's now giving a second chance for Repentance. Third chance comes up. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Three chances he gives to say, hey, you know what? Come clean. Just just own it. Let's deal with this. But this is what happens. Verse 12. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to pass the blame or we tend to justify certain things that have gone on in our lives. The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it no responsibility, passes it straight on to the woman. Then the Lord addresses the woman and he says, what is this you have done? She doesn't own it right then and there and she does exactly the same thing. She passes responsibility. The woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's true. Of course, the serpent deceived her. We saw it right in the beginning. However, her part in it was not repented of. It was blamed on somebody else. So the Lord God said to the serpent in verse 14, because you have done this. Now I want to point out a few things here. It says, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. So that serpent must have walked upright. It must have been the head of the livestock because now on this curse, it is now made the lowest um, above or beneath all of the livestock. Also notice the word cursed. Whenever we talk about a curse, we go, well, that's from the devil, because the devil curses. But can you see, and I'm, I actually want to show you as we go through this series, how many times the word says God cursed. God did it. You know, there's, there's Galatians um, 6. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. If he sows to the flesh, he reaps death and decay. If he sows to the spirit, he reaps everlasting life. So we can't think that we can sow one thing or we can, we can do or action one thing and there be no consequences or the consequences are opposite to what's actually deserving because It says, it's crazy, whatever you sow, that you're going to reap. If I plant an apple seed in the ground and I expect strawberries to come up, I'm going to have a horrible surprise when apples come out of the ground. This is the same thing. We call to give account of everything that we do in this earth. And whatever it is that we're sowing, that is what's going to reap up in the nature. You'll remember in Genesis 1, it says, He put seed into the vegetation, into the trees, and they produced after their own kind. If we are sowing one thing, that's what's going to come up in its time. It might not even be in your generation. It might be in a future generation. What are we sowing for our children and our grandchildren? What seeds are going to come up in their lifetime? All really sobering thoughts to think about here. Verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's really interesting. What is that crushing the head and striking the heel all about? And sure, if we try to think it through logically, we're going to go, well, since a snake crawls on its belly and most of us where we live, thank God in New Zealand, we don't have uh, snakes. and island doesn't either, which is just interesting. But you know that when a snake crawls on its belly and if you don't see it, it's going to strike you and hopefully we're going to see it first and crush its head. So we think logically that is what this is saying when it's talking about the serpent and the woman, their offspring and its offspring and how they operate together. But when you understand from a Hebrew perspective about what the heel or the foot actually means, it's a whole different story. I mentioned to you about how the word has levels of revelation. There's, there's the, the level when you read it and you get a revelation straight away. But as you start to delve deeper into the truth of the word, there are so many facets and so many doorways to go through that reveal revelation to us. Let me share from a Hebraic perspective about the feet and what this verse could actually represent. So if your head on the the human body is the highest part on a person and the foot is the lowest part, rabbis explain that the foot represents the lowest level of a human being's spiritual existence. In Genesis three, when God curses the serpent in the garden, he says, You're going to crawl on your belly, you're going to eat dust. I've read it to you, gonna put enmity between the woman's seed and the snake seed. What it's actually talking about is that serpent which represents the evil inclination. I just read to you Psalms fifty one about how we're all born into sin and iniquity, right? There is temptations that we face all the time. We have an an ink um A tendency to lean towards an evil inclination. So that serpent where that attacks the heel is that evil inclination that attacks a person at their point of greatest weakness. There are things that we all think are terrible, right? And we'd be very quick to repent of it or stay away from it completely like murder, for instance. Most of us are not born thinking, oh, we want to murder somebody. It's 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 like a taboo thing that we know there's going to be dire consequences if we go and murder someone and we get caught, we are going to pay a hefty penalty. We also know that this is maybe, because we like to classify sins, we go, this is like one of the worst sins that you could do, right? So we're going to stay away from it. Staying away from those um sins um and iniquities are, are like us crushing that serpent's head. It's that, that inclination doesn't have a hold on us. It can't get to us. We, we've decided, hopefully, well, I certainly have, decided I don't want to go down that road. I keep me far away from it, father. So that is us crushing that serpent's head. However, there are small, insignificant things that we don't seem concerned with. You know, the word says sin is sin. I mean, there are classes, like some things are called an, an abomination. Um, there are sins, there are transgressions, there are iniquities. So there are different classes, but sin is still sin, right? But there are some things that maybe we've grown up in our upbringing that we go, this is not such a bad thing. And I'll just give you an example. If I had lived on the streets and um, I had children on the streets and I could look at my children and see they were starving, they crying, and I had no money to feed them. I'm pretty sure that I would go and steal food or whatever it is so that I could feed them because to me, my children would be a priority. And so if I was to think about the sin of stealing, if that was in my environment and my background, I would say, well, that's not such a bad sin because you have to do what you have to do for your family. That's not as bad as murder. Or we might say lying, depending on the occasion, is not such a bad thing um if your wife says to you do I, do i look fat in this dress and and if she does the husband would be probably very wise to say no honey you look gorgeous okay that it's a lie but it's to cover up and to um to look after the feelings of that wife and it's to uh protect the marriage <laughs> from <laughs> horrific outcome, okay, and so in those circumstances, we go, well, in that case, lying is warranted, it's, it's not such a bad thing, we classify it as a white lie, right, so you see what I'm saying, we have these points of weakness, but if we ignore these little things, if we cuss, or whatever it is, we ignore these little things, and we don't deal with them in our lives, that is the serpent bruising our heel, They're the small sins, repeated many times, that are going to cause spiritual damage and be our downfall. It's at these lowest levels that Hashem stands. God says to Moses at the burning bush, he doesn't say, take the covering off your head. He says, take the shoes off your feet, because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. What he's saying to Moses is, Moses, remove the covering that is hiding your defects from yourself. And only when this is done can you begin your spiritual ascent. Only when a person discovers his lowest point can he draw from the discovery and repent and ascend from his Egypt or his, his land of slavery. Some of us are locked in prisons of slavery that we go, I can't get out of the sin or I, you know, I, I can't move forward. It's like there's a ceiling on my relationship with the Lord. It's only when we deal with these lowest points, then we can begin our journey to our promised land. The story of the burning bush is found in Exodus 3 and 4. And go and read it. As you read it, you'll begin to discover what Moses' lowest levels were as he talked with God. You know, the word says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you only have to listen to somebody speak for a little while before you start to discover what's in their heart. So these were Moses' lowest levels. He says to God, well, who am I that I should go? So you can see his self-esteem is, is not quite um, high enough. He then goes on to say, well, what name must I say that I'm doing this in? There's still this disbelief and this doubt. He then says, if I go and tell Pharaoh all that you've said, what if he doesn't believe me or listen? What am I going to do then? He's speaking to the most high. And Yahweh is giving him instructions and still he's questioning, he's questioning, he's questioning. So God says to him, okay, this is how you're going to know I'm with you. Take your rod and throw it on the ground. Now I can, and it turns into a snake. I can guarantee you that if that was me, I would have hightailed it out of there. And that's the end of the story. But he says to Moses, pick up that rod. He picks it up and it becomes uh, that, that snake. He picks it up and it becomes the rod again. So he's now done this the sign and reversed it. But that's not enough. He says to Moses, I want you to take your hand and put it into your cloak. When Moses pulled it out, his hand was leprosy. It had turned to leprosy. Uh, I would have been freaking out right there. And God says to him, put it back in your cloak. He does. And he pulls it out and it's gone. And still, Moses replies, but I'm not eloquent. In other words, I can't speak clearly. I am i don't have the gift of the gab. I'm not persuasive. I stutter. Whatever it is, there's always those excuses. Those are his lowest levels that Yahweh reveals to him on that mountain. If you go to the Last Supper, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You can see that in John 13. Why washing of the feet? Have you ever had that done to you? I have, and it is the most humbling experience. Why the feet? Peter's heart is revealed during this time. He opens up his mouth in John 13, 8, and he says, No, you will never wash my feet. Jesus' answer to him is, Well, then you can have no part with me. So as we ascend from our lowest levels Um, we're dealing with those issues so that we can begin to mature in the things of God. I know I'm out of time, but I thank you for bearing with me today, and I look forward to picking this up next time. Have an awesome day.